Well, we really are indebted this morning to my friend Ron. I mean, really mean that because he's given us the verse for this morning, which is could not be better, and I appreciate his wisdom. So if you have a Bible, will you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1? And uh, the verse that we're going to look at is verse 17. And uh, just let me read a few verses from Ephesians. If you have a Bible, uh, I'll read from uh, verse 15, where he says, For this reason, ever since I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. This is the verse. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. We'll stop there. Well, this year, I've no doubt for all of us, they'll be filled with great potential and great pitfalls as well. One of the great dangers is that we will make secondary things more important than primary things, and we'll do things like that. But more important, we will be tempted, I guess most of us, to become busy. Uh, our great the sin will be activism. It's a great sin, really. I, you know, I was when I became a Christian. One of the strap lines was, "You are saved to serve." Well, it's not. A, there is a truth in that, but it's not the most important truth. Because having been in the church all my life, I know the great danger is activism. You know, if the devil can't get you to sin, he'll get you busy. And, uh, and I say that as a church as, and, and individually. Uh, it's not a compliment for somebody to say you're very busy. Uh, our first priority, as the apostle will go on to say, well, he says it in Philippians, is to know him. We want to know God, he says, and we come to know God through Jesus. And, and that's our great priority. But we can get waylaid. And um, you see, Jesus... When he chose his 12, remember in Mark chapter 3, he chose 12. Notice the order. That they might be with him. And they may go out to preach the gospel, the kingdom of God. Notice the order. They were called first to come and stay before they went out. And that's always the way. We, we always miss the first bit. You know, the, one of the saddest lines in Scripture, when Jesus tells about the prodigal son, that great parable in Luke 15, and, he, and the, the oldest, oldest son, the good lad who stays at home and looks after the farm, says to his dad, oh, all these years I have been slaving for you. All, I'm sure he was a good worker and I'm sure he was profitable and the farm prospered. But he missed the most important thing in life. In one, to know that his father loved him. 
And we as Christians, we can be so busy planting churches, doing church stuff, and doing charity work and all that stuff, and yet we miss the most important thing, that we are loved. And we, uh, we come to know God. And, and that's really what it's about. And, um, and that's why Paul prays. He said, I pray that you may know him better. Now, we've seen many in the church um, through the years who've come and whose light has flickered, who's bright, and yet, where are they? Where are they? They don't go anywhere. Now, I'm not standing here, you know, we, we're the self-righteous ones. We've kept the line. I'm not just saying that. I want to say, from a little experience, they've lost their way because they've not kept to this plan, injunction that Paul is, is laying out, that they might know him better. But you say, well, we know God. We know God. We, I know. I'm not doubting for a moment that when you became a Christian, Christ, you know, Christ came into your heart when you were born again. I'm not saying that. But there's a great danger, especially for some of us who are, dare I say, of riper years, um, that we know it. And we stop thrusting for God. It's like the little boy, he, he was learning, he learned his 12 times table. And he was really proud, and he said he knew his 12 times table, and he said to his dad, he knew it, and his dad said, okay, tell me the 12 times table. And so he recited his 12 times table. And so his dad said, right, what's 12 times 13? He says, daddy, there's no such thing. <laughs> and, you know, we think that, well, you know, we've been around church all our lives, and we know the score. And yet Paul says, you know, we're just beginning. And Paul says, I, I want to know him. Now, we come to know Christ, God through Christ. But you can say, Paul, you met uh, God on the Damascus Road in the person of his son. A tremendous vision. Not only that, you had an experience, you were caught up in the third heavens. And it was so sacred and special, you couldn't even share it. And you, you've seen people saved, you've seen demons cast out, you've seen church planted. Yeah, but Paul says... I have one desire, and that is to know God through Christ. All the other things, I've, I've counted everything, I count everything as lost, they're rubbish. I've lost his reputation, his, his family, his Jewish friends, his theological stand, his academic stand, all these things. Went, I said, I just count them rubbish. <laughs> I consider everything but a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. And so this is Paul's great desire for these young Christians in this church in, in Ephesus. Now, let me just say, this, this letter of the Ephesians is at what's known as a circular letter. It would have been read, not just in Ephesus, it would have been read in all the churches in, in Asia Minor, and then it would have been copied and, and taken through all the new churches as the church grew. What I, why I said it, because this... Is this injunction that it, you might know him better is for all Christians. There's a great danger. Well, you know, I'm not like that. You know, I've come, haven't I? Yeah, I'm here. What you're on about? You know, I'm here. This is not just for the people, you know, the leaders or full-time workers or the ones who are spiritual. This is for all Christians, the back row as well as the front row, the middle row. This is for all of us. This passion has got to be there for all of us. 
And that's what he's praying for. Uh, now, he knows that they have been blessed. If we had time to go through that wonderful uh, one verse, 3 to 14 is just one verse in chapter 1 of Ephesians. They've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. They've been forgiven. They've been uh, redeemed from all the powers of darkness. Not only that, God has brought them in into this, his battle plan for the ages, that everything will be under Christ's headship one day. He's, and not only that, they've been sealed, he says, with the Holy Spirit. All these things have happened. But after all that, he, he says, I pray for you that you might know God better. Now, let me just stop there and just say, that's our greatest uh, task. My greatest task in my life and your life is to pray. And it's the hardest thing. We always put it off. We've always something else. I'll do it later in the day. No, we pray. The greatest thing I can do for my children, for, their, for my grandchildren, for my friends, for my neighbors, for the leaders in the church, for members in the home group. For, the greatest thing I can do every day is to pray this prayer that they may know God better. Uh, and, it's, and that's what it's about. That's why we're looking at this verse. Now, let's just quickly, we haven't a lot of time, and it's just, you could spend ages on this one verse. Notice how he prays. He prays for us, for, they, they will pray to the Father. He prays, I keep asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father. And what he wants is that they will go to the Father. You know, in the New Testament, the normal way of praying is not to Jesus or to the Holy Spirit. You can do that. It's in the Scriptures. But the normal way is to pray to the Father. And, and lest you think Jesus is easy, but the Father is remote. No, Jesus comes and pays an incredible price to enable men and women to know his Father. He's not some remote, distant, cosmic force, cold and distant. No, no, he is a wonderful Father. That's what he's saying. And he's, he's the God, is the Father whom Jesus prayed for in his earthly life, and he obeyed each day. Now, this is how we come to God. He was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now he's the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's how we enter. We pray to the Father. He'll come in the second chapter and say, Through him, through Jesus, we both, Jew and Gentile, have access to the one God, the Father, by the Spirit. Jesus comes to introduce him to the Father. He is our representative, our high priest, our introducer to bring us to the Father. And um, that's what it's about. When you pray, says Jesus, when you pray, says Jesus, say, our Father. That's what you're meant to do. We're, we, now, we are Trinitarian. We believe in praying for the all. But the normal New Testament is to pray to the Father. Notice what he says also. He goes on, look. He says, the God of all ages, the Better translation, the Father of glory. The glorious Father is too weak. It softens it. It's not just an adjective. It's what he is. There's something ineffably glorious and splendid about God. And when we pray, we must come that way. Take our hands out of pockets. Not this matey God, this being. No, no. We slow down. We remember... To whom I am speaking. This God threw a hundred billion galaxies into being with a word. If you study astronomy, you'll know how awesome it is. And we come. But Jesus says, 
His love is as great. He's saying, you know, his love is as great as his power. And, and we come with no familiarity or, you know, all that sloppy stuff. No, no, we slow down. Do I realize by whom I'm speaking? And then we have this great petition, looking at your scriptures, that they might know him better. That's Paul's passion. And that's uh, what we're going to unwrap. Now, we come to know God through the, the Son. No one knows the, the Father, the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son. And those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So we pray to the Father for revelation. But what's it mean to know God? I mean, I've puzzled with this many, many years. This is the ultimate question. This is why we're here this morning. And what's Paul praying for? He knows they're believers. They know they're, they've got faith. They've, um, they're forgiven. They've been sealed with the Spirit. God's put his Spirit in them. Uh, but he's just saying, look, you've just been coming. That's just the beginning. It's like if you climb, you know, one of the hills in the, in the United Kingdom, whether it's Scarfell or Snowden or Ben Nevis, you know, they, you, know you, you stand at the bottom. Well, they're not a great climb, but, you know, you, you've, you've got to put some sweat in. But you just, he says, look, you're just at the beginning of this great mountain range, which is God. And uh, he says, that, you know, you've got to have this passion. I want to know more of God. And the word he uses is not a superficial thing. It's an, what he uses is an accurate, exact, profound word. It's, um, it's the foolish knowledge that we can think of. That's the word he uses, to know. Now, let's just unpack it more. It's not just head knowledge. Now, head knowledge is essential. Let's not put that down. We have to, we have to use our minds. We have to grasp the concept. That's why we, we preach each Sunday sound theology and Sound doctrine, it's essential. It's how we, we get to know the faith. And, uh, and Paul uses that word in, later in the letter, where we might grasp, and it's a, it's a mental thing. We might grasp how wide and long and high deep is the love of God. It's just something you, you comprehend, you study it, and you look at it, and you meditate, you use your mind. No, it's not just mind. It's a, it's, it's to do, knowledge always includes love, or it should do. When we love a subject, we, we, we know it better and quicker. I, I think, for instance, I remember once for a year, I once did a year studying, uh, among other things, entomology, bugs, insects. And uh, I mean, it's an amazing subject. And, uh, but what struck me was the professor. And he said to, to us one day, he said, every time I look down a microscope, I just I get so excited, I just love it. Because his knowledge was encyclopedic of bugs and you know because he because he loved the subject his knowledge grew and grew and grew so it's not just a cerebral thing this knowledge no no it's more than that but any student knows that if you if you love a subject you grow you get to know it better i mean i had friends who were obsessed by motorbikes i mean i had friends and they used to strip motorbikes when they didn't need stripping you know that sort of people bizarre people but they knew everything about bikes. The make, the price, every, every little sprocket inside them. And because they loved the subject, their knowledge was growing exponential. But it's true of everything. And this is what he said, I want you to know God. Um, but it's not just an intellectual thing. It's bigger than that. And, 
It's true of every subject. We, we start with our minds. We try and grasp it. And we meditate on the Word. We spend time in the Word. And we study the love of God and the plan of God and all the rest of it. And um, as you apply your mind, you don't get it at first. I mean, we've been, you know, you, you come into places, isn't it? I don't get it all at first. You know, I'm not sure what they're on about. No, fine. It's taken many of us 50 odd years and we're still, we're still learning concepts, what it means. But we've started. And, uh, and we've, we've started the journey. It's not a simple thing. I mean, Isaac Watts, the great hymn, when I survey the wondrous cross. It's not, got it, that's it, that's it, got it. No, no, I survey it. And for 50 or 60 years, we've been, I've been studying the, the cross, what it means, what happened, what, what was achieved. I survey it. It's a great panorama of God's glory. It's like, you know, you, you spend your time climbing these hills. Where, let's say, I don't know, whatever hill you like, Scarfell, you start. The first 200, 2,000 feet, well, after that, you're there nearly. It's easy, but it's, you've got to do the foot with the hard work. But when you get there, if it's not cloudy, which is a rare thing, you, you see that the vistas, the panorama, Ireland, Wales, England, you know, Scotland, you see them all, I think, nearly, if it's a clear day. But you see them, but you don't see that until you've done the, the, the footwork. But it's more than that. It's more than that. It's not just information about God. It's not doing a degree in theology. Some of us did that. You can do a degree in theology and not know God at all. It's not knowing about God we're talking about, which is not a bad thing. But ultimately, this knowledge he's talking about is to know him, himself. It's like, you know, I don't know Mrs. May, Theresa May. You may have met her and shook her hands and all the rest of it. But I say, well, we'll say on the news, what's she like? Well, no, we'll go over to Norman Smith, who's our political correspondent. Norman, what was PMQ today? Well, Mrs. May, Mrs. May was saying this. And that. No, I don't, I'm sure even after the news, you don't know her. You know about her. But that's not the knowledge we're talking about here. It's a deeper thing. Now, you may not have, a, have had visions or an audible voice. But this knowledge he's talking about is, is personal, it's deeper, it's direct, it's immediate knowledge. It's the knowing of his presence with us. That's what it's about. We, we're aware that someone is with us. He may be speaking to you. We read the word and we're, we're stilled, we're aware. He speaks. Very often he rebukes us. We think, oh boy, we feel unclean. We feel I've got to do something. We're in the presence of somebody ineffably great and wonderful. And uh, you, you feel very sinful. You feel dirty. And you feel, I need to get forgiven. And then you become aware of his love. You know, you, you feel repelled. And yet, in the strange sense, you feel attracted. It's a strange paradox, isn't it? You want to know more of him. There's nothing better. And uh, we, we, we start to know something of the love of God. And that we are loved by God. But, it, but how does all this happen? How do we do this? Well, Jesus says God is spirit. And they who worship him must worship in spirit of truth. All truth about God is spiritual in essence. Now the problem is, by nature we are dead spiritually. We don't get it. Paul will say in the next few lines, but you were dead 
in trespassing. You may be very intelligent, intellectual, clever people, but you don't get it. You know, I remember reading about William Wilberforce. William Wilberforce, the great emancipator for the slave trade in the British Empire, and his great friend was uh, William Pitt the Younger, who became one of the greatest, one of the brightest, best prime ministers we've ever had. Brilliant man. And, and Wilberforce was desperate that Pitt came to know God. So he would take him to hear the great preacher in London, Richard Cecil. And he said, I took him and, he, and Wilberforce said, he, this was wonderful. He preached a storm. It was fantastic. But as they came out of the church, he asked him what he thought. And, and Pitt says this, William Pitt. You know, Wilberforce, I did my very best to concentrate with my whole power on what that man was saying. But I have not the slightest idea as to what he was talking about. That's true. I've just finished reading The Life of Charles Darwin. Charles Darwin, nearly a genius, but certainly one of the greatest naturalists and zoologists we've ever produced. Brilliant. But spiritually, as blind as a bat. Dead. His wife, Emma, was a Christian, but he couldn't see it. And at the end, he writes, he said he didn't see anything special or significant about Jesus. Because why, as Paul says, he's dead spiritually. See, I often think one of the greatest verses in Scripture that we should all be aware of is that one Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2.14, where he says, The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. They are foolishness to him. And he cannot... Understand them because they are spiritually discerned. There's no correspondence, he's saying. It's like, you know, you, you go to a music concert in a place like this and you're tone deaf. And everybody says, well, they're amazing. Didn't get it at all. There's no correspondence. There's got to be music in you to respond to music, hasn't there? It's like people go to a poetry reading and think, didn't like that. Well, because there's, there's, you haven't got that poetry in you to respond to it. Well, in a, a far greater, more serious way, is spiritual things. Paul says you are dead spiritually. But the wonderful thing is this. He brings us to life. He brings us to life. He says in, in the second chapter, God does it. And God comes like a cataract. But God of his great love, who is great, rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we're dead because of our trespasses and sins. He comes into our lives. He breathes into us. He brings us to life. And that's what happens when you become a Christian. You, you need the Holy Spirit to even to believe we're dead. But he, he, bring, he gives us the Holy Spirit. And, and then, and then, but how can we know him better? Well, look what the verse says. That he said, I keep asking the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, sorry, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious God, may give you the spirit of wisdom. We need the Holy Spirit. And Paul said, I'm praying for wisdom. He will come, the Holy Spirit. Now, that's not to say you're going to win Mastermind 2018 this year. You know, if the Spirit comes, the uh, works in you and through you. But it's, first of all, it shows you who you are. Why am I here? Where can I find meaning in life? Where can I find hope? Where can I find God? Only the Holy Spirit can tell you about God. I mean, Job, years before, says, If only I knew where I could find him. 
Where can I find him in history? Creation? I don't seem to do. I mean, you can't do it in philosophy. I mean, Jesus came after the greatest flowering of probably philosophy this world has ever seen in the Greek culture. Never been surpassed in one sense for sheer genius of thought and rhetoric and logic and philosophy. But they didn't find God. But then Jesus comes. And the Holy Spirit comes and he gives us knowledge and understanding. And uh, he comes when he comes. You know you have a fear of the Lord. You're not messing. These are serious things. Who is this sublime person? And we submit to the Lordship of Christ. And the hard thing, we submit to the Word of God. That's the hard stumbling block. We can think of a thousand reasons why we shouldn't. But when we submit to the authority of Scripture, then light comes. And we believe what Paul says, all Scripture is breathed out by God. And, he, and, he, and the Spirit gives us wisdom. We, we see who Jesus is. He's fully God and fully man, a divine nature, human nature. We see, he shows us what he did on the cross. How he died for our sake. He died in our place, the just for the unjust. He bore the wrath of God. He became sin for us. We don't understand it. And for after 50 years, we're still under <laughs> seeking to understand the depth of his wonder and love. But we, we're beginning. Light is beginning to dawn. <laughs> now, isn't it? You must find it very comforting. The greatest professor in the universities and the has no start on you spiritually than the than you who've never passed an exam in your life. I never did any good at school. I was no good. It does you no advantage. You have no advantage spiritually if you're clever or not clever. You should all say amen for that. Because we're in a culture where that's the thing. But in this, in the in the in the kingdom of God, it's level. The only truth and revelation we get is by a gift of God for anybody. The greatest mind or the least clever person you can think of. God, and that's why Paul prays, I pray it might have a spirit of, of wisdom. And, and, uh, and, and you have to be born from above. I mean, even Nicodemus, who was the top of the theological seminar in Jerusalem, he was the top leader. Jesus says, actually, you have to be born from above. What? He taught theology to, you know, rabbis and all the rest of it. He was the teacher in Israel. But it's true of all of us. From the person in the jungle in the wildest country to the most erudite professor, it's the same. You have to be born, you have to be born again. You need the spirit of wisdom. But not only that, you need what he says, you need the spirit of revelation. You need the spirit of revelation. In other words, we need the spirit as we read the Bible each day. I would commend that you read the Bible not only every day, but you'd read it through at least once a year. You'd go through it once a year. But it's amazing how you read through it. And you've read it again and again. And then one day, that passage just, boom. It's the spirit of revelation. You can't understand this without the Holy Spirit. It's a unique book. And we need him to, to help us to do it. Well, finally, um, I don't know where we got to time-wise, but never mind. Uh, are we going? We're all right there. It's a lot down. They might complain <laughs> the other end. <laughs> but you know, the thing is this. Is, well, why? Why? You know, because, well, I'm not that religious. Well, I'm not asking religious. I'm just saying, are you born again? That's what matters. If you're born again, you, you have a hunger. 
We have, we've had four kids. I tell you, one thing they've all had from day one is a hunger, night and day, day and night. <laughs> you, we, and, and, and you... The first thing, this, the first reason why we should pursue this, why Paul prays, is that this is the point of life. Jesus says in John 17, 3, now this is eternal life, that they might know you, the one true God, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. That's why you were born. That's why you're on this planet. That's why you're here in his That is the point of life. Not some, you know, chance of, Reproduction by your parents? No. This is why you were born, that you might know the living God. Fancy, what, what a tragedy to, to make, buy a big house, I get a good degree, a nice family, and all that stuff, and miss the point of life, which is to know God. And to die dead spiritually, and then you will become alive in a way you don't really wish. wish. But that's what it's about. To know God. And... and uh, it's not just to have a better life. We come to this church so we can have a better life. No, no. We come to this church so we can, you know, have a good life. No, no. We come to this church so we can have a, we can be a holy person. Well, not really. There, I've met holy people in India, you know, and in Far East, holy Buddhists, holy Islam, holy, you know, Muslims and holy uh, people, certainly holy Hindus. No, no. The point of life is that I might know you, the only true God. And Jesus Christ, whom you sent. You can have your own spiritual little journey and miss life. But more than that, I'll just give you the headings. And then, but also, it sets you free from fear and gives you meaning in life to know God, to know that you have a father. Imagine a scenario. Here's a guy, and he's, he's a teenager, and he never gets on with his parents. It's, I don't know whether this will work. Let's try this. He, he doesn't. He doesn't get his parents, and they're, they're always on to him. He can never do anything right, and he doesn't seem to have faith, and he, he, he seems to have great potential, and yet he doesn't seem to work, and it's a mess. And, and he thinks, are these my parents? Anyway, one day, he's in the loft, and he finds a, a trunk, a case, and it's got a lock on. So like old teenage boys, I'm going to see what's in this thing. So he unpicks the lock, and he finds it's full of paper and letters and cuttings, and he realizes, blow me. These are not his parents downstairs. They're criminals. They've abducted him as a baby. And he finds out these cousins who his real parents are. His mother is a, a famous painter in the Sorbonne in Paris. His father got a Nobel Prize for science and he played for England at sport. They're fabulously wealthy and he has a, he has a great wealth inheritance. It all makes sense to him. Because he's, he's always thinking, you know, I'm, there's something in me that doesn't fit where I am. And he realizes his one task in life is to find his father and mother. And that's our task, to find out the living God and to know how much he loves us and what he's, and what he's got for us. And, and it, we realize our potential. See, the thing that matters in life is not your genes or your chromosomes. The thing that matters is the Holy Spirit in you. That's what matters, not, you know... All that genetic stuff, which is significant, I'm not denying that. But what determines our life is the Spirit of God in every Christian. And we realize the capacities and the capabilities that we have. And the, the Father's chosen us. And he has great things for us. And we, we need, he wants to reveal his plans and his power and his love to us. And he's never going to leave us. 
And uh, we are a special child. You're a special child. But not only that, Paul, if we time, we'd see it in the next verse. He says, you know, I want you to know three things. And, I just, and he said, I want you to know the hope of uh, your calling, which really means I want you to be assured. And then he says, I want you to know the uh, riches of his inheritance, the great thing that Father has planned for you, amazing things. And he said, I want you to know the incomparable great power for us who believe. Every Christian. See, you can't believe without the Holy Spirit. But he said, I want you to know that. I mean, isn't Joe, sorry, Daniel says, they who know their God shall stand firm and take action. I think the authorized version says, they who know their God shall be strong and do exploits. And I could illustrate this, you know, all day long. That's why they could, the, the people, Daniel's friend Shadrach, Misha, and Abednego could face the fiery furnace. Because they knew their God. And um, that's how you can face your thing, problems in life. Because you know that God is in charge. And he's your father. And he loves you. I just finished yesterday, last night, reading. I bought a book for my wife for Christmas. <laughs> I read it. And she can read it eventually. On the life of Martin Luther. And uh, I mean, he's a genius of a guy, weird guy, wonderful guy. But his life with others changed Europe. And changed the West and changed the world. But, you know, the people were trying to kill him initially. And his life was in danger. Many of his friends were burned because they became Protestants and protested. But they called him to Augsburg. And uh, his friends, some of the German princes, said, Don't go. Don't go to Augsburg. There are, devil, there are, there, there are devils from hell, they said to Luther. And Martin Luther says, but in Augsburg, Jesus reigns. Now, those who know their God shall be strong and do exploits. You may have a terrible work situation, but in your office, Jesus reigns. In your factory, Jesus reigns. In your school, Jesus reigns. There may be devils from hell there, but Jesus reigns. And you have to know that. And you know that because you know God and he's with you and he's for you. And that's what it's about. And, uh, and he wants you to know that. But the great thing, the final thing is this. Why, why, would, why does he pray that you might know God better? Because actually, it's the one thing in life that satisfies. Ultimately. It's the most satisfying thing in life. You know? Paul says, I consider, I, I consider everything. Rubbish. Loss. You know, compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. You know? But the saints throughout the years, and the, the Christians, have never been second-handers. That's the great danger. And, uh, you know, we have to know that. Now we're just beginning. But I just want to, as we begin this, this first Sunday this year, to Put it in our hearts. I want to know him. Now it's just a beginning. Next month, I, I, it's 55 years since I met a young lady. And I thought, she's all right, this young lady. And I thought, I really would like to get to know her. Now I could, I, you know, I could take her out and, and all the rest of it. And I thought, yeah, that'd be good. And uh, I'd even pay for the, no, well, 
Neil? I'll think about that. But I thought, I want to get to know her. And then I thought, no, I, I want more than that. I want to spend my life with this lady. I want to get married. I want to find out what she's like. And, and I want to know her more and, and enjoy living with her in every area of life. Now, it's just, and, and actually, it's got better and better and better and better. But that's just a poor, well, a poor illustration of what it means to know God. We just begin, well, I'm just beginning. We are just beginning. At the, we are at the edges of his ways. And Paul says, I pray that you might know him better. Because once you get to know him, once you live with him and walk with him and talk with him and, and do what he says, life becomes rich and fuller. <laughs> and it's, it's a paradox, isn't it? We, 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 we know him, and yet we, we don't know him. We want to know more of him, don't we? We taste of the, the living bread and long to feast upon thee still. We drink of thee the fountain head and thirst our souls from thee to fill. It's a paradox. We've, we've satisfied, and yet we want more, don't we? I, I guess it's only the poets and the hymn writers get it right, really. That's why you need to flower that way, I guess. And Bernard of Clairvaux says, but what to those who find are this? What pen or tongue can show? The love of Jesus, what it is? None. But his loved ones know. Wesley says, thou, O Christ, that all I want, more than all, in thee I find. And we could go on. I could quote, I could quote the hymn book. You need a hymn book. Well, that's another story. But I said, this is... This is our passion for this year. Paul says, this is my, I keep asking, I keep asking every day. The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of glory, that he may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation that you might know him better. And this life will be over soon. And then for the believer, every million years we're just beginning we just begin. We'll never come to the end of the glory and the wonder and the splendor and the magnificence of God. This is just a taste of this life. And that's the priority for this year, for you and for me. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you.